Welcome to Founder Journeys. This podcast is showcasing quick and high-impact conversations about the world of entrepreneurship. In each episode, we speak with founders and investors on specific subjects to inspire current and future entrepreneurs. Join our host, Catherine Lockhart, CEO of Propel, as we build a thriving and sustainable tech community together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Founder Journeys. I'm your host, Catherine Lockhart, CEO of Propel. And today, I'm very excited to welcome former classmate of mine, Maria Luisa Lind. Maria was born in Barcelona, and after having lived in a number of different cities, she has settled in London, which she now calls home. She attended university in Barcelona and Switzerland and received her MBA from Harvard Business School. She further developed her business skills and passion for fashion, working as a strategy advisor to numerous consumer and luxury goods firms, such as Burberry and LVMH. She also spent a number of years working at Bain & Company. She is also a mother of three and passionate about children, education, and championing women. And I am so excited for our founders to hear her story. It's incredibly inspiring. Maria, we're so glad to have you. I'm going to dive right into the questions now. Can you tell us a little bit about your career path and what inspired you to become a founder? So um, I'll tell you about my career path as kind of the inspiration to become a founder came uh, along. I was not a burn entrepreneur, not someone that was, you know, selling necklaces when I was like 10 or anything like that. So I studied business and economics as undergrad in uh, Barcelona and in Switzerland. And then I joined Bain & Company after university and I actually loved it. And I remember after a year or so thinking, I love this, I'm going to be a partner one day. But then after, you know, three, four years, I started having all these entrepreneurial thoughts, which were very <laughs> kind of um, foreign to me in the sense that no one in my family is an entrepreneur or has been an entrepreneur. And uh, I kind of wrestled with all these ideas that were coming to me. And so then I decided to go to business school and take two years to think about what I wanted to do, you know, think, you know, do I want to continue in consulting? Do I want to start my own business? Uh, and that's when we met. So I went to Harvard School. And then after that, I actually decided to go back to Bain. I had a year or two before I could, a year actually before I could become a manager. And I thought, you know, let's complete the cycle and then decide what I want to do. But I used the two years at business school to, as you probably remember, to do the business plan and think really about what I wanted to do. Also, gain some experience in the industry. I worked for the LVMH group between the first and second year. And I was part of the Luxury Goods Club uh, at HBS. And I, you know, I got to invite and, and meet a number of CEOs uh, of the fashion and, and luxury industry. So I used that time. And then what happened is that it was a long time coming. I had been thinking about it for a long time. But again, because I had, you know, I had no experience whatsoever in design. I had no experience in also in starting a business. So um, and it, it was a fashion business. And apart from my couple of projects I had done at, at Bain uh, within luxury goods, I didn't have much of an experience. So it took me a while. But then it was when my first daughter was born that I thought, okay, it's now or never. I wanted to take a year off. And I thought I'm going to use this time to do the prototypes and really you know, start building, uh, building the business. And that's a little bit how it happened. So for me, it took quite a long time. And again, I never thought about myself as being an entrepreneur. And it's interesting because 
for me was Pivotal uh, Business School because it really gave me the guts to do it. Um, when we were at school, I remember there were some classmates of us who started an airline. And I always thought, well, if they can sell an airline, surely I can sell I a few bags. That was kind of you know, that was kind of my thing. Surely I can sell a few bags. So, and also I think just the approach of, you know, business school, but also the U.S. mindset of like, you know, try it. If it fails, it's okay. You can do it again. And this very encouraging environment and, and do what, you know, what you're passionate about. That really helped me uh, because I think in Europe and particularly Spain, where, you know, I was born, I spent the last half of my life in, in the U.K., in London, but, but I was born in, and raised in Spain. And the truth is that, you know, the approach to entrepreneurship is much more conservative. And if you get it wrong, it's really bad and all those things. So you have that kind of in the back of your head, together with the fact that no one in my family had done it. So they have, my father had been in business, but more on a CEO capacity and not on an entrepreneurial capacity. So I think, yeah, HBS, HBS was uh, pivotal for me, I would say, in, in the journey. Well, I'm so glad you shared that because I heard many things that I think are really relevant for our audience and that you actually said, I, I kept having all of these entrepreneurial thoughts <laughs> and you weren't, you weren't raised in a natural entrepreneurial family that encouraged you to take these risks. You were raised in Spain with more conservative, uh, you know, wonderful family, but more of a conservative appetite. And I think founders should listen to that. You don't have to come from a family of risk takers. You don't have to have this born entrepreneurial spirit, it can develop over time. And I also love what you said when, when you became a mother, that timing seemed to be that magic moment for you. You seem to have the confidence, the ability, and that mindset. Like you said, you were in the US. If somebody in our class can build an airline, surely you can sell a few bags. That combined with becoming a mother and having the time to step into this passion sounds really, really like it aligned well. So congratulations on, on the journey, but I love hearing the backstory. Like you weren't a born entrepreneur. You didn't even anticipate doing this. And actually to that point, that is super relevant because I'm not a risk taker as a person. I'm actually quite risk averse. I've always been all the other facets in my life. And it's interesting because I was a business school. I was also thinking, you know, do I have this inside of me? Is this something I can do? And I remember one of the case protagonists that uh, came and speak to us who said the most successful entrepreneurs are not those who take the most risk, but those who manage it best. And mm -hmm. that I was like, wow, that can be me. Because again, I was not a risk taker, but I could manage risk. So I think that really resonated with me. And I think it's yeah. important for people who are either starting their business or thinking about starting a business that, that there's many ways that it's not like you know, you have to be a super risk taker and you know, there's only a profile. So there's many profiles of people who can be entrepreneurs. And that I think is very important to highlight. Absolutely. It's just that you build the business and you do it in a different way, right? So if you are mm -hmm. a risk taker, you follow a different path and you structure your business in a different way, you're financing, you're whatever it might be. Um, but there are many ways in which you can do it. Right. Many paths. And I would also echo, you know, we're based in Canada, Atlantic Canada. Inherently, we don't have the same appetite for risk that many of the larger American ecosystems have a little bit. We like to pretend we have it, but I think underlying, if you've grown up in this region, you are a little bit more conservative, but I like how you've, you've framed that you can manage the risk. It's also about managing the risk. You don't have to be a big, bold risk taker all the time. So that's quite refreshing to hear. I'm going to set us up for the next question. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to brag about your fantastic company, Demelia, and I'd like you to tell us about that company. It's a fantastic luxury goods handbag company launched 13 years ago. Is that correct? 
Yes. So there was a bit of a journey. I'll tell you about the story a little bit because okay. so when I launched, when I had, you know, my first daughter, I probably launched more like 12 years ago or something or 11, but it took a little bit to launch. But the thing is that I spent the first six years while I was having, I had three daughters, three kids. So kind of, I invested 50,000 pounds, which is like $70,000 of the of mm-hmm. money I had saved. And it was on my own. I was doing everything. I was the only founder, you know, self-finance and kind of very organically. I started kind of in the attic of my house, like the typical <laughs> entrepreneur in that way. And just figuring out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it again, because I had no experience in the industry. So the first six years were kind of, uh, yeah, slow and learning. I mean, I think you cannot underestimate when you launch in a new industry, how long it will take and how difficult it is to crack it. I mean, it does take time. So I think that's really important for everyone to acknowledge. And especially in my case, I wanted to do at my own pace, spend time with the children and, and you know, have the kids. As you know, it takes time getting, yes. you know, <laughs> delivering birth when they are born, you know, uh, yeah. breastfeeding, all these things. So I wanted to do those things. And then when my, my youngest was uh, one, which it was about uh, six years ago, I decided to um, raise some uh, money and then uh, kind of relaunch. And, you know, with all the le- learning I had had in those six mm-hmm. years, kind of, I thought, okay, I know now how the industry works, how to, I mean, crack is a strong word, but like how to, you know, try to crack this industry, which is a very complicated industry fashion, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I raised, uh, I did that round and then kind of I relaunched the brand, the packaging, the website, everything, you know, I hired people. So, and that's when it really started taking off. So even though, you know, kind of we launched about yeah, 12 years ago and started 13 since I started the whole journey, it's the last six years where it has really, or five, five and a half, actually, we launched the brand the Melier five and a half years ago when it really uh, took off. And I have to say, though, like the brand has grown significantly. And I will say for the audience, Malaya has the likes of Beyonce and Kate Middleton and all kinds of prominent individuals who anybody would recognize who are actually carrying these these handbags. But I want to go back to your actual focus and target audience because it stems from a passion that I know you have personally. And you wanted a bag that was for working moms. And that is really the audience that you are serving with Demelio. Is that correct? Can you speak well, to that? So how we started, that's interesting that you mentioned, because from the beginning, when I had the idea of, of the business, it was about work bags. And I could yes. feel, you know, I felt that there was a gap in the market for work bags that were excellent quality, great designs at an affordable price point. So for me, that was always key. That was a price point that was accessible luxury kind of thing. But also that was ethically and sustainably made and well giving back. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit uh, about that in a second. So the values have remained the same, but the product has evolved a lot. So, and that's one thing as an entrepreneur, you have to evolve your, you know, marketing channels. You you have to really, that's a key thing, I think, for, for success, that you have to really react to what the market demands. Some things you got it right from the beginning, some things you got it wrong. So, and that has evolved to be more like a handbag company with values at heart. So, you know, work bags for us represent probably about 15% of our business now. So more, um, you know, the remaining 85 is more like crossbody bags or, I mean, you know, any, you know, many other types of bags. So while we started with that focus, then we realized that there was demand for work bags, but for many more things. So, so we changed uh, along the way. But for me, the key thing or the key values that I had, well, there was one about that I really felt there was this gap in the market for affordable luxury handbags with values at heart. And one was 
and and that has even increased over the last few years where you know the luxury brands have increased their prices so much that that is very hard to find anything under $1,000, $1,500 in that segment. And then you have, so that accessible luxury uh, space has, you know, a gap has become in a way even more interesting because there's mm-hmm. fewer players. So you have the, the large traditional players, a lot of them American, whether it's Coach or Michael Kors or Marc Jacobs. But there hasn't been, you know, so many with uh, because we have a bit more of a European aesthetics and you know a bit different to offer something different because mm-hmm. those are already in the market and they're great brands. So, but we're offering something different. And for me, and a lot of for me, it was very important. We get feedback from customers as well. Is that, you know, I really wanted to make sure about our values and that was empowering women. So our the three core values of the Melia are empowering women, made ethically and sustainably, and giving back. And so the first one about empowering women, there is a lot of you know, fashion brands that are, you know, for women that are, you know, whether it's the creative director or the top management are men, which I, I find is quite surprising, to be honest, because it's a product that, you know, that women know best equally. If someone, you know, if you're doing racers for men, I mean, it should be a man who knows better in product development and in, in marketing. I mean, other, other things, you know, whether it's IT or manufacturing or packing, it can be anyone, you know, men or women, but, but when it comes to understanding the product. And so for us, it was very important that it was a a product that was by women for women. So 90% of our team at headquarters is women. We have our, our design team is fully women, and we really put women at the forefront when it comes to also we encourage our partners to um, for equal pay in our factories. We also make sure that we put women at the forefront when we do, for example, interviews. So we interview a lot of inspiring women to inspire the next generation. So that's one of our core values, which was always linked to this working women as well, you know, working woman or working. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it can be working or not working, by the way. You know, there's great uh, women in many facets, but empowering women is a key thing for us. The second value was made ethi- or is, uh, was an ease, uh, made ethically and sustainably. And this, you see more uh, fashion brands doing more on this space, but within handbags, actually, it's, it's shocking how untransparent it is. If you want to buy from any even in the top, the very expensive to the bottom, you know, uh, handbags, and you ask, okay, which factories are, or where t- tanneries and factories they are made, where are the schemes coming from, the leathers, what is the rating of the leathers, you know, they won't tell you. And we share all of that in our, you know, website and share the information with customers. So for us, it was very important that we made in ethical factories and this is, the materials were as sustainable as, as we could. And the final value, which is uh, giving back, and that we do that through a, a charity initiative called A Bag Alive, which is permanent, and we fund vaccines and medical treatments for children in need through one of the largest orphan charities in the world, which is called SOS Children's Villages. And that was a, something that was very close to my heart as a, as a mother of three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that we and we did since since we launched. And I think just the concept of giving back was, you know, as growing up, and I think, you know, I feel so fortunate that I was, you know, I had a stable, you know, nice family and had an education, right, that a lot of people don't have those uh, almost basic needs basic, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah and so yeah. i think you know just being very fortunate about that i think it's 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 key for everyone who is in that position to give back and so that was something that was always core to what we would do and we do that even with the team we do a, you know we try to do a lot of charity work in our communities and so on so mm-hmm. so those three pillars you know i think um 
kind of were some of the founding principles that that I had from the beginning. And I think that's something that yeah, that has become core to the Melier in addition to the beautiful designs and the price point, I would say. Every founder's journey is unique. And if you need help taking the next step in yours, contact us at info at propelict.com to go further, faster. I love that you've articulated and, and walked us through those really, those three anchoring principles. And it's fascinating to see that you started with them. They continue to serve as the, you know, and you you said it like we have values. It's really values at heart here that really drive this company. And in addition that you've also evolved with the market, you've listened to customers, you've responded to what they need. And we talk a lot about that at Propel with our founders, especially in the early days. It's so important to be passionate about what you do. But what we try to work with our founders on is actually going to market and listening to their customers so that they're empowered with market data instead of hope to guide their business. Hope is important. Support is great. And and in Atlantic Canada, we're very friendly people. Everybody says, oh, you're a founder. You're going to be amazing. And that excitement keeps everybody motivated, which is important, but it's not market data. Unless that person is your actual customer, their excitement doesn't necessarily lead you in the right direction. So I love that you've been able to hold on to your core values and evolve the actual bags that you take to market to respond to the market. And that's really led to a, a lot of the growth I'm sure that you've experienced. Yeah, that, that is critical, actually. Let me jump to another question. What would you say, um, giving some advice to founders, what do you think is the biggest hurdle that a founder will face in their early journey? I think, I mean, I don't think I can pick one. I would say three. And it could be different for different people. I would say the first thing is that you either need to be very good at many things or surround yourself from the beginning with the right co-founders. So meaning when you're starting a company, you have to be good at creative, like, okay, what is the great idea and and how are you going to support that? You have to be good at management because you have to manage people, recruit people. You have to be good in terms of the business side of things, you know, the cash flows, the P&Ls. You have to be good at presenting and engaging investors because that's sooner or later you're going to need them. So you have to be good at many things. Or again, you, you start with already a strong group of co-founders that tap into those skills. So that's a hurdle in itself, right? So because if you are one of those people that maybe is brilliant at one thing, but not good at many things, then you will struggle on your own. Or also finding the right co-founders can also be really hard. And, you know, there's a lot of examples where things have gone sour. So that, I would say, is the first hurdle to take it from the idea to really take it to the next level. The next thing would be that I think you have to be incredibly resilient, mentally. It is a long and hard journey. I mean, I remember, you know, if I think about myself back at business school, you know, having this lovely, great idea and you think, okay, you'll do it five years, you know, great business. And then whatever you sell or you continue, right? Well, that's not the reality. Um, it's interesting. <laughs> I was, I was speaking to a, a friend of ours from, from our section, Daniel uh, Subelman, this was some years ago. And, um, you know, he started a bank with a co-founder, uh, in South America. And, and we were talking how it takes five years to get somewhere, you know, you know, it takes, it takes like five years to get somewhere. So not, not even like, you know, huge (laughs) success, you know, that's a reality, you know, by the time you you put your feet and you're getting to something that has uh, a bit of shape that, you know, it takes five years. So, and if I think back even, you know, in our year, um, you know, there are 
very few businesses who they build it, maybe they sold it or whatever, or, you know, got to a considerable uh, size within 10 years, right? It takes at least 10 years to get it to uh, somewhere where you can then, you know, you have a a proper uh, sizable business set up. So I think that takes a lot of resilience because Mm -hmm. you have a lot of, and I always say in entrepreneurship, the highs are very high and the lows are very low. Mm-hmm. because uh you know it's, it is tough so i think you have to be incredibly resilient mentally and i think then the third thing and it goes a little bit linked to that is that you have to be or or, or create a financial situation that is going to allow you to live uh, a few years with a much smaller salary that you would otherwise earn for example right well it depends on your background of course but you know in our case you know having gone to Harvard school and all those things and the background you had, your salary expectations and what you would have earned if you were, I don't know if I was going back to Bain or, you know, whatever, private equity or banking or any of the large companies, that's a certain amount. And if you're starting your own business, you're putting, you know, you don't want to take a huge salary because otherwise you have less money to grow and and to invest. Mm -hmm. So I think you need to either, you know, have saved a lot or raise money that allows you to pay um, a decent salary, which is hard from the beginning of course, mm-hmm. sometimes you want to bootstrap uh, to just get it somewhere and, and then get a great evaluation. Or you need to have be with a partner that can, you know, pay the bills while you're building the business or whatever it might be. But I think mm-hmm. this is really important. I, I see a lot of people who go into starting a business with like, okay, I can do this for a year or two, but then I need to have X amount in salary, otherwise it's not going to work. Well, then it's not going to work. I think you really need to plan how you're going to do it in a way that that your salary expectations are realistic. You can live with that uh, mm-hmm. for, a, for a period. Because most of the times with a lot of entrepreneurial ventures, you know, the money comes when you either sell a, a big stake or the whole thing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you can have a salary, don't get me wrong, but, but compared to other things that you might have yeah. done, it's going to be lower, at least in the initial years. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of people who kind of have to stop because of that. Right. So I think yeah. those, those would be, I think, the three of the biggest hurdles that you need to kind of um, be, be prepared for and, and maybe right. prepare in advance. I love that, especially the last comment, I think it's very wise. And it, I'm just reflecting out loud. We also did a podcast with Tanya from our section and she had similar advice about plan wisely financially because reality is you have to be able to do this and it's often, almost always, for longer than you anticipate. So you have to be wise about it. And I find it interesting and, and I'm very passionate about supporting women and women identifying entrepreneurs that, and their cash management is often very good because mm. they have a conservative lens with their cash burn and they really look at that. So very wise investment for those listening, of course, that women put this at the top of their list, even when they're in the entrepreneurial shoes, let's manage this cash wisely. Let's plan realistically mm-hmm. and let's grow, of course, and take all the risks that entrepreneurs do, but it's not overlooked in many cases. So I, I love that you've highlighted that as well. Um, and I do think there should be a t-shirt that uh, is one of your quotes that's saying it takes five years to get somewhere. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I think that's it's me and Daniel, me and Daniel. And Daniel's you know? supplement. Yeah, exactly. So it takes five years from Daniel and Malaya to get somewhere. Uh, I think it's a really important thing for founders to listen to and, and just take it mm-hmm. in. Like it's a long journey and that somewhere might not be where you had anticipated, but somewhere is, is often at least progress, uh, but it's long. Uh, next question for you. And I know it might trickle in. It's, it's a little bit of repeat from the last one, but maybe a bit more direct. If one of your daughters, I know you have three wonderful daughters, were going to start their own company. 
what advice would you give them? Yeah, I, I think it's linked to the previous, as you say. I would say that it's not for everyone. That I think it's something that you have to think long and hard before doing it because it's a long journey, right? I think you're committing 10 years plus of your life, right? Realistically, we want to, again, take it somewhere that is uh, a decent size. So so you have to be prepared for that, right? Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people you enter and it's like, okay, you spend a couple of years and then you're a bit despaired and you're like, okay, where is this going? <laughs> and it's hard because... Also, I mean, the the part why I think it's so hard is because as an entrepreneur, so you would do this, let's say, for 10 years or whatever you, long, and there can be things that happen that could bring the whole thing down, right? I mean, the pandemic, whatever external yeah. element. Mm-hmm. And in any other job, so you've done your job and you've been you know, earning your salary. Okay, the worst that can happen is that you're fired, right? So, okay, yeah, that's not great, but you're fired. Here, you basically... It's like someone coming and saying, I was thinking about my husband who is in banking, someone saying, okay, you are fired, but you have to give us 80% of your salary for the last 10 years, because that's in a way when you're investing in your venture, you know, a lot of the financial reward will come later. Right. Mm -hmm. So that is very tough. (laughs) That is a very Mm -hmm. tough place to be. So, so I think that it's not for everyone, you know, and Mm -hmm. and you have to think hard and, and long, but but equally, I mean, if you have the idea and you have the drive, I mean, why not try it? I mean, I think in my case, I felt that I had, you know, I had the savings. I had also, you know, my husband who, you know, who was able to pay the bills. I had the drive and, and the energy to do it. So I was like, let's try it. And then I, I can always go back to consulting or whatever it might be, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was my philosophy. And I think it's it's also worth trying. I mean, I think it, there's nothing worse than you go, you reach the end of your life and you think, oh, what if? So I think if you do it in a way that is, you know, relatively, you know, the risk is managed and then you can mm-hmm. say, well, I, my, my idea was like, okay, let's see, let's do a year or two. Let's see what happens. And then I kept, you know, and then you kept evolving and then you can always decide. So, um, so I think, yes, I will tell them it's not for everyone, you know, you, you know, the realistic view of it, but equally if they're really, you know, fired up and they have the right idea, yeah. Yeah. then they should do it. It'll be interesting to watch if, see if we have any entrepreneurs within our collective children. <laughs> yeah. Now tell me, I've got a three last questions for you while we have our time together. Who has inspired you in your career? Because it's been an incredible journey. So there must be some sources of inspiration. You know, I was thinking about it and I don't think it's been one person, but I think it's more, if I have to find like one moment actually would be business school but you know and again it wasn't a person it was the whole environment Um, yes the whole experience and I remember that the first week we got there we had to read this book about modern capitalism I don't know if you remember that one (laughs) yes and it was and it was and and the whole book was all these you know great founders from the uh, 20th century and they had all failed one once or twice and how you know it was hard but they made it and you know you already set the tone. And one of the other things I remember about business school that I felt we were bombarded left, right and center, which I didn't expect from Harvard Business School, because you think, you know, of course, you know, a lot of people become very successful. So, you know, you think about money or whatever it might be. And they were like, no, you know, forget about money, forget about success. All of that will come follow what you're passionate about. I don't know if you remember that, but I, I felt yeah. like when it was teachers, uh, you know, the professors, when it was the guests uh, that were coming to talk, it was, you know, follow your passion, follow something you love, and then everything else will come. Mm-hmm. And I think the combination of those two things, uh, you know, those things together with, as, as you know, seeing other people starting business or having started in the past, 
you know, that, that for me was, yeah, what, what I think um, really triggered or not triggered, but kind of almost allowed me uh, in my own head to, to, to give it a try. To take that plunge. Yeah, yeah. And it takes courage, right? Like taking that leap of faith, that takes a lot of courage from your perspective. And uh, we're all very glad that, that you did it. Those of us who are bag carriers, <laughs> we love them. <laughs> we really, I take mine everywhere. Tell me, what are some of your daily habits that keep you motivated? This is, like you said, the highs are highs, the lows are lows, anything that really keeps you grounded and in, in walking forward. Um, so in terms of the business, I would say that one thing is when you're either starting or building a business, it's to grow the business. So when you're growing, it's a lot of fun, right? You're growing, you know, your revenues are hundred percent up year on year. And it's like the whole thing is first, it's a lot of fun. You can, you know, you grow the team, you can do more marketing, you can do all these things. So it's really fun. And when it's not growing, it's really painful, right? Because all the negatives come. And, and so, so for example, for us during the pandemic, I mean, we did better than the category, but still we didn't grow as much as we were growing before. Mm. And, and you know, you were like super worried about because you don't need handbags when you're inside your house, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, and, and then you were super worried about your team. You know, you didn't want to have to let anyone go. And just you're thinking, how will the business evolve? And, and you know, will we survive? And all those things. So that's really painful when, you know, you're in this mode of like growing a business that if you're not growing for whatever reason, it might be that it's hard to, to keep your excitement up when you're mm-hmm. growing. So I, you know, I put a lot of effort in like, okay, let's try to grow this business because then it feels everything and everyone's morale. And then you can do so many more things, you know, you can mm-hmm. hire more people, you can do. So that's the one thing. Another thing that keeps me motivated is delivering on our values. So for us, the mm-hmm. having giving back element is really important. And I remember, especially during the pandemic, when, you know, it felt so miserable in so many ways um, that we had, in addition to a bag alive, we had a, a charity initiative uh, with seven other women and, and seven causes from the Malala Fund to to War Child, to, to other causes. And that really helped us so much that like we were like, okay, we're doing something great, you know, and, and it kept me and the team motivated. So I think finding also the deeper values, and that's why I think it's so important to build a business on something more than, you know, I have a great idea and I'm going to make a lot of money, you know, something that mm-hmm. fills you on a deeper level. Right. So that's the second thing. And I think the third thing would be the fact that you're your own boss. So even though it's tough, it's it's so great to be your own boss. And I think, <laughs> and I always think that if you become an entrepreneur, then you're unemployable afterwards because uh, <laughs> you you, you you know, I mean, you've been like 10 or whatever, 15 years, you know, being your, your boss, and then you have someone else telling you what to do. That is probably a, a shock to the system. And so, <laughs> and, and equally in the, in the, you know, in the, in the tough moments, I was like, okay, yeah, this is really tough, but you know, would I want to do anything else or so not? So that's, you know, those are things, I think the three things that, um, that kept me going. Well, and I think that especially the last point is, well, two things I, I that really resonate with me that delivering on your values during tough times. I think that that really m- would keep founders centered, grounded, motivated, even okay. when it's tough, which it will be. Every founder has those lows um, and they look a little different for every founder within their journeys. But hanging on to those values and being motivated to deliver on them is, is I think, and I love how you described how you did that with other women in the area who were aligned around that. And then, and then I love it being your own boss. How do you, how do you go move on from that? So <laughs> I think that's a very realistic scenario for many founders, even if they transition or maybe they're acquired and then they're suddenly find themselves reporting to someone. And I think that, and then 
some some can make it work, obviously, and and that would certainly be, as you said, a shock to the system for others. So um, I love those points. Final question for you. What are you most excited about for the future of Demelia, of the brand? Um, I think for us is um, the fact that we have very good momentum now, and I think it's almost the first time in, in I mean, we've seen, you know, of course, this is not you do something overnight, but, but finally, I think all the hard work is paying off in terms of the size that we're getting to the brand strength, the wholesale presence we have, the team, you know, that uh, I've been able to build. So it feels like, okay, now, you know, we build something that has some some substance to it in a way. And also we have a great four-year plan that I think, you know, will will take us where I always envisage uh, mm-hmm. the brand being. So, mm-hmm. so I feel in that sense touch wood, but, you know, we're in that part of the journey that, yeah, that a lot of the all the hard work is it's it's paying off in terms of you know the business that uh, we're we're getting to be. Wonderful, thank you so much. I do really think that our founders will have benefited from hearing about your journey as a founder, the ups and downs. I love the patient passion, the long term view. It takes a long time to get somewhere and then eventually where you want to be. But I love how you've done it in a very planned way and and to remind founders. Maria was not born in this entrepreneurial family selling things when she was 10. It can take a long time. So the profile to become a very successful founder and leader can look very different. So don't try and fit yourself into a mold. But Maria, thank you. You're an incredible example that I think will inspire many after having heard your story. So we really appreciate your time today. Thank you. That is so kind. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Founder Journeys by Propel ICT. Propel ICT is Atlantic Canada's e-accelerator for tech startups. Are you a founder looking to build on sales and marketing skills, reach and engage with the right customers, and ultimately find success? Our coaches are eager and excited to help you and your business go further, faster. To learn more about us and our team, visit PropelICT.com. Propel ICT, where founders become leaders. Propel ICT.